Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with my co-host, Liel Zahaviasa. How's it going, Liel? It's good. How are you? Excellent. This is very early for us. Uh, it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's uh, early on a Monday morning, and today we're talking about actually a pretty serious topic, uh, fighting hunger here in Israel. And for that, we have a very special guest. Liel, would you please introduce our guest? Yeah. So in 2003, Joseph Gittler founded Leka Israel, the National Food Bank, formerly Table to Table, as a one-man volunteer operation to respond to the paradox of growing hunger and poverty in Israel on the one hand and significant food waste on the other. Today, Leket Israel distributes over 40 million pounds of produce and perishable goods to Israel's socioeconomic periphery through its partnerships with 330 nonprofit organizations, reaching more than 246,000 people in, in need each week. Joseph received his Jewish doctor degree from Fordham University. He also has a bachelor's degree from Yeshiva University. He resides in Ranana, Israel, with his wife and their five children. Joseph received the coveted presidential award for volunteerism from former President Shimon Peres. Welcome, Joseph. How are you doing? Welcome, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. Good morning. Well, thank, Doesn't seem that early to me. Here. By the way, I should I should add to the bio. I also have now I have a son-in-law and a dog, so I got to update my yeah. bio. Okay, and I don't, on the I, record, it's not nice maybe to put the son-in-law and the dog together, but yeah, I was going to say on the record, like which one do you like better, the son-in-law or the dog? The dog is newer. Okay, so it's more exciting. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Well, Joseph, I, I assume a lot of our listeners know about Leket. I know a lot of people volunteer helping out, you know, uh, in different ways for the organization. But can you, before we even get into talking about the broader topic, give us a little background on your life story, how you ended up here, and what got you interested in creating an organization like this? Sure. So thanks again for having me. I uh, grew up in New York, as you probably hear. Where in New York? They say I don't I grew up in Washington Heights till I was oh. 15, north, northern Manhattan, and then Teaneck, New Jersey for a couple of years after that. And then after my wife Leela and I got married, we lived in Riverdale for five years and then Aliyah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think how I got here is a quite, uh, you know, the boring, traditional, modern Orthodox story. Uh, came through the that system, great system. And I would say like the Marines, still the few and the proud. You know, as much as we like to think there are a lot of people making Aliyah, the numbers are still pretty insignificant. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're here. We've been here 21 mm-hmm. years. We came straight to Ranana. Uh, we came here because my wife's brother uh, lived in Ranana, so it just made sense. My mother-in-law was pretty insistent that we live near the family. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, even though we said we would never come there, it's too hot. Uh, it seems like all of Israel is pretty hot, so there was no escape from mm-hmm. that. Well, no, but that, that having that kind of family support when you're an immigrant is a pretty big deal. Oh, totally. We la- actually landed in Israel, and they had, uh, sight unseen, rented us a house, mm-hmm. uh, arranged for the internet, and made and water. So I don't know mm-hmm. what else is what else mm-hmm. you need. Um, you know, it was a very different internet in those days, but uh, it was better than nothing. So yeah, it's made a big difference. Now we actually we don't neither of us live in the same home as we started in. But we live right around the corner, and that makes yeah, it's nice. we're very lucky to have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what got you involved in this kind of work? So look I, again, I I think uh, I would blame uh, Aliyah on my career path. So I don't think if I lived in America, 
that any of this would have happened or Canada. We likely would have ended up, my wife is from Toronto. That was probably the uh, direction we were going in. Um, if we would have uh, stayed in North America, mm-hmm. uh, as Liel said, I went to law school. And when I came to Israel, I decided, you know, tech was, I'm not technical, but tech seemed to be the place to be. So I worked in that for a couple of years. Maybe I should have stuck with it following what's, <laughs> what's going on here. Um, mm-hmm. But about three years in, um, after the Intifada had started and things were pretty tough in Israel and after September 11th, which also had a big Im- impact on the tech world here. Which is right around um, the beginning. I, if you're here 21 years, so you came right around the beginning of the second Intifada. I came two weeks before it started. Wow. That's wow. what I was like. To, I always like to ask people, you know, who gets, uh, you know, at 120 when we go up, you know, we go upstairs, you know, who gets more credit? Me, who came and then st- came for one thing and stayed for another, or the people who came during the Intifada? Mm-hmm. I kind of think the people who came during the Intifada, maybe they're really the crazy ones. I was already here. We moved. We right. said our goodbyes. So come on. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really tough time. It was not what we signed up for. But that's being a little bit naive uh, with the history of the state of Israel and the Jewish people thinking you know, you're going to la-la land. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. And I'm happy we stuck out and made a life here and a very happy life. Of course, part of that is just because... You know, you, you walk. We walked on the right side of the street instead of the wrong side of the street. Then mm-hmm. that's you know that that kind of mazel is sometimes the way life is. So I came here, and things were tough. And I had a lot of people knocking on my door asking for charity, and there was a lot of reporting in the Israeli press about about people struggling to make ends meet. And what I started to feel is that it wasn't the people I was used to knocking on my doors only. It was mm-hmm. different. A different type of people, people who had been in the workforce and had lost their jobs or underemployed, wanted to work um, or were working. And again, this has only gotten worse. Um, they were working, but their incomes were so low mm-hmm. that they were struggling to, to make a go of it. And that just, that of all things, you know, you're out of work. Okay, I can understand you're not going to do it, but you're working and you still need help, that like that boiled my blood. I just couldn't deal with it. Now, again, you know, that term, maybe it comes up a lot with me, naivete. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if I'd understood the way the economic system works in the Western world, I would have said, okay, that's the way it works. But, you know, maybe fortunate for the state of Israel, I, you know, said, I, I live in the land of milk and honey. How is it possible that you could work and still need to knock on people's doors or, you know, the, the, the bigger picture still need help from a soup kitchen or a Meals right. on Wheels program or from your relatives to make ends meet. I'm not talking about someone who's trying to buy a house and their parents help them. I'm talking about people, you it's know, their own families. getting to the families. end of the month with your basic necessities yeah, paid yeah, for. just That's making it. a go of it. And I just, again, I, I wasn't familiar enough with that issue from the U.S. And that just seems to be a Western issue. How big a problem is it in Israel? of uh, undernourished people. So look, I think we'll put a, let's get our, you know, we'll put our terms in order so that we don't leave people with, cause you come to Israel, no one's starving. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. No one's starving. No one's malnourished. We're not in Africa. We're not in Haiti. Mm-hmm. We're a, a rich country with a problem of a, a myriad of problems, which again, sure. every country has their own problems, but we have, you know, some of our, our versions. Mm-hmm. Our version and what we like to call, you know, we like to stand alone, the Jewish people, but this is Israel. It's it's the Jewish state, but we have, 
you know, many partners in the state and the Arab, Bedouin, Druze, mm-hmm. refugee community. And each one comes with its own set of issues that we have to deal with as a country. Um, so look, we call it nutritional insecurity. And what that mm-hmm. means is you're generally in a Western country, which mm-hmm. has enough food for everyone and you have very limited means and you're making difficult issues with that means. You're not starving. No one's starving in America. No one's starving in Canada either. But suddenly you need a medicine that's not covered by the basket of medical services in Israel. Okay, that probably sounds very familiar to your American listeners, you know, who many, many don't have medical insurance. So we are Mm -hmm. thankfully we have this amazing socialized medical system. So you're taken care of. But what if you have this situation uh, that you need something that's not in the medical system or you just don't have enough money to pay for your rent? Or your or electricity you have to bill. miss work for a family or a health issue or who knows. Yeah, or or, or you know, COVID hits and mm-hmm. and and that period between when when you've been put on leave and the government decides to help out. These are mm-hmm. all so maybe for you know people in in more, more fortunate positions, uh, they can get they can get through that. And they have so, a savings buffer, yeah. but you don't expect yeah. Israelis. It's not as common for Israelis to have that kind of savings buffer the the Mm -hmm. distance between the typical israeli salary and the cost of living is not great in the in in the you know in the western world israel has a pretty bad ratio of salary level to cost of living right israel's had a bad one since i started that's one of the reasons i started because Mm -hmm. people just couldn't afford to live other countries have caught up if you're following what's going on for example in the u.s now uh which is going to come here as well uh with the inflation yeah uh, going on. Plus, yesterday I was reading this long piece in the New York Times about people trying to buy homes and the price mm-hmm. of homes in, in in Mo. It's not even just the hot places. It's not San Francisco, you know, and Manhattan. It's all over the country. Housing costs have gone up since March 2020 by 25 percent. Wow. So, whose salaries have gone up in the last year and a half by 25 percent? Right. So, people are having a really hard time. Uh, the rich are getting richer. Um, which again, that's the system. I'm not, that's a discussion for another day. Right. Um, you know, my jumping in point, my point of view is, um, we live in, in the West. I want to add one other piece because I'm sure your listeners are following the amazing things going on in high tech in Israel. The, mm-hmm. the money flowing in, the IPOs, the mergers, the SPACs, International all these incredible things. Yeah. yeah. Salaries going up here, but, and that's great for a small part of the economy. Growing, you know, I think Israel's, our goal is now to get 15% of employment in high tech, but already at 10%, it's something like 25%. At 10% employment, it's something I was reading in the Times of Israel the other day, it's something like 25% of our output already. So oh, wow. it's, it's output, but also income. So you have a lot of money flowing to a few people. And that, of course, right. you know, brings in these, these, you know, the Dutch syndrome. People can look that up if they're not familiar with that. I'm not. Uh, type of risks. So, you know, that's the Dutch tulip craze that took place oh, yeah. when people were paying a million dollars in the, I don't know, Speculating on tulip bulbs. Speculating on tulips. So, so the bottom would fall out. Yeah, we're starting to get a little, people are starting to get nervous here. You can have too much. It never sounds right. You can have too much of a good thing. Well, not and only that, so, but even uh, if, but like you were pointing out in terms of percentage, even if that, even if that helps the overall gross domestic product of Israel, it leaves, what did you say, 10 to 15% work in that, in that area? So that right. there's out. a trickle down. There's a trickle down. So we won't okay. forget that. Yeah. But 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 it, it's it's not enough of a trickle down, and it increases the cost of living because what happens is some of the these people have a lot of money in their pockets, and so there's a house for sale, 
And if they really want this house and it's put on the market for a million dollars and, you know, they really want it. So they'll just keep on bidding till they get it. And uh, suddenly everyone gets those ideas and the cost of housing goes up and, and, and they'll come in and they really want to rent this, this house in Ranana. And, you know, the person who lived there with a normal income, uh, you're seeing, you're just, I, I see it. There's no houses available when they're available. They're scooped up very quickly and their cost rises and everything goes with it because then the person who used to live there, you know, if they're a tutor, they need to raise their prices mm-hmm. <laughs> to make enough. It's, it's a vicious cycle. And that's why everyone is very nervous. And I'm nervous because there are a little more savings now. People saved money because of the government help mm-hmm. during COVID. It's actually your general Israeli has a little more money in their pocket in savings right now, but that gets eroded very, very quickly with the increased cost of living. And let's take it one level down. The people that Leket serves, the people getting help from the soup kitchens and the homeless shelters and the battered women's shelters and the after-school clubs for kids, mm-hmm. they were behind the eight ball before COVID started. You know, they haven't been, in, they, they don't have Tesla stock. Right. And, you know, they could care less that Microsoft is about to be worth $3 trillion dollars. And all these crazy stories that we read about, they're not in that world. They're not benefiting from that world. And actually that world is making it a way harder for them uh, because of the changes in the economy. And so uh, again, I'll add one last, the fact that by 2025, the minimum wage in Israel is gonna be up to 6,000 shekels a month. Mm -hmm. The impact on those people, while as a percentage, it may sound generous, it, it doesn't come close to keeping up with, and I'm not saying I have a better solution. This is just reality. Okay. Right. You're not solving that the six, national that, economy. You're addressing. I'm not you're solving explaining. the national economy. And like it, like it doesn't even say, we, we have one supporter who pushes us often to say, you know, solving hunger or, and, uh, you know, it's nice to say it, but I, I like right. to be more realistic. I think it keeps us grounded as an organization. Our goal as an organization is to make sure that all excess food, that's nutritional and safe and healthy, and that can be efficiently rescued. Meaning, we're not coming to the Unterberg house to pick up right. one piece of of, of uh, schnitzel. Even though I like to right. say also no schnitzel left behind. Right. Okay, <laughs> that's not really what we're after. That's you know the, the one schnitzel left behind. Frankly, should get eaten in your house. That's yeah. not my problem. Okay, right. I'm not. I'm not trying to attack you. But that's just the way you know. We have a battle royal in my house every week. Well, it's a little about, creepy. You know, I actually have, yeah, you're like looking in my fridge. I didn't think I set up the camera that way, but okay. We're the yeah. seer of Ranana, yeah. that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's a lot of issues wound up. I mean, I don't know that a lot of our American listeners know how Israelis often live in debt as like a normal, you know, they call it minus here, where yeah. Americans aren't used to planning to live with negative money in your bank account. But in Israel, that's pretty typical. Yeah, I don't even know if you can do that in, in, in meaning... I don't know how open banks in the United States are to even doing that. Look, there's I don't think people they are. do it in America they also. It's just, yeah, they it's live just in credit, credit card debt. Or, yeah. So it's the same. I think it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the interest rates are worse. They're equally evil and equally dangerous right. um, uh, for people. You know, America has the layaway plan, mm-hmm. right? And here in Israel, I'll say in Hebrew, it's called tashlumim, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is, you know, spreading out your payments, which again, if you're a foreigner in Israel and you pay with your credit card, you can't do that because right. your credit card doesn't allow allow that. So that's a nice thing. Again, if you have the money, so you just say, hey, thanks to the bank for allowing me to spread out my payments. Right. But if you don't have the money, that's where it becomes a dangerous game and people get themselves into trouble. It's a, it's a, real, uh, it, it's a real dangerous business. So that's what, so what Leckett's trying to do when we talk about nutritional insecurity 
is we're trying to help the poor by getting them good, healthy, nutritious food, which hopefully in their case just allows them to spend some of their limited budget on something else. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so we don't work directly in almost all our programs. We have one program where we work directly with individuals in need. But in general, as Liel said, we're working with over 300 agencies throughout the country. Mm-hmm. So let's give an example. So when we can so provide, supplier. we're a supplier, we're a middleman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we're not a wholesaler because we don't charge the right, agencies right. anything. We give it to them for free, which, which most food banks in the United States actually charge a penny, oh, really? a pound or something oh, to wow. bring some income in. Mm-hmm. We made the decision that most of the agencies we work with are mom and pop volunteer run. Mm-hmm. And we felt like we had a better chance of raising the money mm-hmm. uh, to cover the cost because our costs, of course. And uh, more important is to allow them to focus their energies on what they do, okay? And what they do is take care of the poor, the beaten, the battered, the infirm. And so we'll let them focus their work on what they do, okay? Mm -hmm. Let them spend less time scrounging around for money or food to feed their clientele. Because at the end of the day, if I say the word after-school club for kids, the main goal there is not feeding, Right. Feeding is part of the greater good. The food is important to keep them focused. The food is great to make it, to bring them in as a hook. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the food is, um, the food and maybe for them, one of the most important things also, the food frees up budget. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what it does for them is, oh, wow, now we don't have to buy 40 meals a day or cook 40 meals a day. We can buy each kid a computer. Mm-hmm. We can get them extra mm-hmm. tutoring. All the things that allow them to compete with our children because, mm-hmm. you know, my children, at least the older ones or my oldest, she understood that she had pretty much an unlimited tutoring budget in high school mm-hmm. and there's no way she would have gotten through with it. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she could have, like, now there are, there's help and there's government help, but it's never, you know, it's never the same as just saying, right. here's a great tutor pay them 150 shekels an hour and, you know, go for it. Mm-hmm. It's right. just, that, and so here you now have these kids who theoretically are um, competing um, with, you know, with our kids. So I think that's a very, very important, um, you know, use of these funds. So how does Leket grow to the size that it is today? Like what was the process of that? Okay, so really we started out uh, 18 years ago with me in my car picking up excess food from uh, caterers primarily at night. And then uh, that went really well and the caterers were thrilled and the waiters were thrilled. And so- What does I that said, mean? Why wow, were they really... thrilled? What does that mean? Oh, uh, they were thrilled through. because no one likes wasting. And so, you mm-hmm. know, I think, I think in general, if you can't, um, people don't think of it enough, but if you can't make a go of it with what you have or there's no market for it, and it's not going to impact. You know, that's always been a fear of the farmers when we started working. You know, is Lekka going to grow so big that it's going to impact the, the cost of, of farm produce? Mm. But cooked food is kind of another level. It's really hard to, mm-hmm. uh, what are you going to, you're not, at the end, you're not competing with, uh, I never, I never really had a caterer who said to me, no, I'm not giving you my food because I'm worried you're going to take it to the, you know, Machane Yehuda and you're going to hmm. try to sell it on the side of the street. Maybe they were worried you're going to take it home and not feed the poor, but even that, it was, I think it was my American accent in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. They heard it. They said, what, this guy's crazy. He came all the way from America to do this. Fine. Let's open up our doors to him. And they were, and, and the waiters were thankful because the waiters are the one dumping and no one likes throwing things away. Mm. 
No one likes it. People do it all the time. Certainly now, 18 years later, there's much more consciousness of the environmental issues as well, which people maybe focus on less when they think about Lekha. But of course, that is an aspect to our work. Um, and so, you know, that's become, um, you know, not throwing things away is a, has become a very powerful uh, sell for us. Now, has it mm -hmm. changed the... Uh, it hasn't changed the way people behave though. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like I go to the weddings and I see there's, they're serving differently. That that idea of plenty is still an expectation, whether you're at a hotel, a corporate cafeteria, um, an event, a restaurant, the portions in Israel still tend to be very, very large. But, you know, because of luck, at least we know that not all, but a lot of this food is getting uh, picked up. And if Leckett's not picking it up, others are picking it up. So there's there's more awareness, and that helps the issue, but the waste is still pretty big. So so where, how did we go? So I started picking up food. People were excited. Um, most caterers that we called said, this is fantastic, uh, come. And so very quickly, we had to start recruiting volunteers because you know how many event halls could I go to in my mm -hmm. car on a, sp a specific night? We also immediately made the decision we're going to work with agencies. First, it started agencies in the Ranana area, and that's, of course, spread today. We proudly work with all sectors of Israeli society from Eilat to Matula and in between. Hmm. Um, you know, and what started off with event halls, within three, you know, I can't remember all the history, but let's say within six months, you know, I started knocking on doors of, of corporate cafeterias and army bases saying to them, here's what I do. Here's how I distribute it. I pick it up. I deliver it on the same day. Uh, certainly soldiers are calling me day in, day out who are hearing what I'm doing and saying, do you know how much food we throw away mm. in these army bases? Can you do something about it? And that's just built up over the years to today become this you know, mega organization which rescues and redistributes millions of cooked meals a year from all those, from the cater, catering events, hotels, uh, corporate cafeterias, army bases, the quality differs, the quantity differs, sure. um, where we pick it up changes all the time. And, and the other side is the work we do with the farming community, which is massive. Um, we are actually on pace now since 2019 to double from 30 to nearly 60 million pounds the amount of fruits and vegetables that we're rescuing. Um, and, and it's all economic, social reasons. So it could be market price. So the market price is low because it's been a bumper crop. And now the farmers say, you know, prices are so low, I'm not going to pick the last 10% of my field. Like it, you can come in now with your volunteers and oh, your wow. uh, teams. Um, it's been picked. It's sitting in a packing house. It's small, it's too, it's too small, it's too big, the market doesn't want it. It's perfect, but there's no, you know, the market is saturated. It's, it's a grade B, normally it's a, it's a carrot, it might get sold for juicing. Mm -hmm. The juice guys have, you know, they don't need any more. Right. And so it's all, it's all order cancellations, currency. Look, perfect example, exporters, right? The shekel, mm -hmm. um, for those listening, the shekel is at a 25-year high. 
So, you know, if you had come to Israel a year ago, you would have gotten for $1 US dollar three and a half shekels. Now we're 3.1, which means Israel's become even more expensive for people coming from overseas. Obviously, again, not an economist. That's good for some people. It's right. bad for others. But what I do understand is it's very tough for exporters. Yeah. So if you're now exporting uh, fruits and vegetables overseas, so either you've got a, uh, well, if you try to keep it at the price you were getting it based on your former shekel dollar exchange rate, you're probably not going to sell too much. That's unfortunately for the farmer, that's where Leckett might wow. come into the picture. Or you're going to have to take lower margins or no margins. Okay, right. so, and it's not, oh, so the oh, I never thought about that, that when the shekel's good, that hurts exports. Of course. The exporters, yeah, yeah wow. Now, it's, it's less of a discussion today because exports have become less important to the Israeli economy. But I'll give you another produce, example. Yeah. yeah, if you're in high-tech exports, okay, so you're exporting in dollars, mm -hmm. but your expenses are in shekels, mm -hmm. right? So, so Intel, Intel, right, exports, it, Intel's one of our biggest exporters. They make some of these chips here. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're exporting. Everything's in dollars. The whole world works in dollars and that kind of stuff. But their employees here are getting paid, unless you're unfortunate, you know, these days, unfortunately, have your contract in Intel. I'm just using them as an example. In dollars, but I don't think so. You're getting paid in shekels. So that means Intel now, if they're selling, selling something for a dollar and they have to pay their employee three and a half dollars, they used to get mm -hmm. three and a half dollars, shekels for that dollar. Now they're getting three three point one. Mm -hmm. You got to find those other 40 agurots, right, mm -hmm. to pay. So that means your margins are going down. So yeah, the, ex, the farmers who are in the export business are going to, a suffer now. That, by the way, that may be part of the reason we're seeing an increase in fruit and vegetable costs here because they're trying to dump some of that on mm. th th those losses on the Israeli market. I don't know that for, for for a fact, and you know, someone who's listening can call me out on that. <laughs> but it, these these you know, and so so we're we're an economic story, mm -hmm. but um, we. You know, you are correct from what you said before, Mike. We're not, we're not solving economic issues. We're just one piece in the much larger puzzle. And we're very large, but as large as we are, we're a tiny piece. Even people say to me, wow, uh, sick, you know, uh, 30,000 tons will do uh, somewhere around that in 2021. You know, you must, that must be a huge Israel grow something like 10 million tons right, a year. Right. right. We're just not <laughs> used to like, thinking in numbers like that. We're a pimple. Yeah. We don't think like right. yesterday happened to be, we had volunteers from Israel Chemicals, you know, the Dead Sea Works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I said, oh, we're, you know, we're going to do 30,000 tons this year. I knew, I just wanted to see what they would say, you know, and then this, the, the, the CEO says, oh, that's exactly that. We do that at the Dead Sea Works in three days. Right. Mm. So right. doing 10,000 right. times That's the kind of person day. who gets the, the, the big numbers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds impressive, and it is very impressive what we've done, but it's still small um, in relation to the problem and in relation to the big picture. Yeah. So far, you've said that everybody pretty much was positive all along the way. A little concern from the farmers, but eventually the farmers, agriculture now works a lot with you. Was there any significant pushback to, to the project? Was there any skepticism beyond that or i mean i think there's always skepticism i think that you know no maybe it wasn't skepticism but certainly no one foresaw that this would turn into something so large certainly mm -hmm. not me even though i saw the numbers very early on about what was being wasted i just never it was just it was a little bit of a lark yeah, well so it's human nature to think view, you know how much plans. yeah you just it's just that's just life there's not much you can do about it there's this sense of like shoulder shrugging of like oh well 
Mm-hmm. But you, right. and, and by the way, and, and I, I, um, you know, because of that, very often when I meet with Leka donors who are very entrepreneurial, you know, I, I'm trying to check their egos, and you know, I'll say to them something like, you know, did you, did you think that where you are today would, uh, you know, I always remember the the two gentlemen who started Bed Bath and Beyond, mm-hmm. and I, I had a meeting with them and I asked them about that. And they said, are you crazy? You know, we had a little tiny hardware store the size of my office mm-hmm. in Union, New Jersey. No, of course, we didn't think we'd have 500 or whatever it was around the United States. Right. No, no one thinks, no, you know, so, so that, you know, that's, I, I don't, that's not skepticism, but that was certainly, you know, no grand plan. It kind of just rolled along. And now there's this big mothership that we have to keep afloat that a lot of people rely on. And that's the scary mm. part today yeah. because it's a lot of money and it's a lot of employees, and it's a lot of responsibility, uh, but it's a heck of a lot of food feeding a lot of people who need it. So we really, you know, we we don't, we have to keep on going. In fact, we're, we're more than that. We feel a sense that there's a lot more to do, and we better do it. And I think our donors have come to, they look at Leckett and say, that's an organization that continued to grow and continued to start new and interesting projects. So it, it, it's it's nice to be thought of that way, but it also causes a lot of stress. Right, right. It's yeah. a, There's a point, yeah, it's the Apple problem. You can't innovate market-changing ideas every two years. At a certain point, just maintaining something. I think people like the idea of something new. It's kind of like exciting. But maintenance, especially when you're talking about feeding people and getting food to them, just that maintenance, yeah. the nurturing of it, it's not as exciting so, for a venture capitalist, but it's but it's... That's the work, right? It's the day in, day out grind of it, just getting it out there. So I think our biggest supporters, um, they get it mm-hmm. and they understand. And, and very rarely do they say what's new. Mm-hmm. And even for Leckett, what's new, we really stick. Our board is very adamant uh, that, great, you're doing 30,000 tons, but if, if there's 100,000 tons out there, so why would you go left or right? Mm-hmm. Let's just see if we can get the resources in place to do that. So when we do go left or right, it's very, very slightly. I'll give you an example mm-hmm. now. We started to see as we grew so quickly that, um, you know, we're, we're because we're not buying, our flow is, is, and even after 18 years, we have a sense, but our flow of fruits and vegetables is up and down, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, so every once in a while, we'll get these massive uh, intake of uh, carrots, as an example, you know, we get a thousand tons of carrots over two weeks, right? And even That's with something all you can plan for, we can't plan. Mm-hmm. We have a sense of seasons when that might happen right. and experience, but it's not, you know, the same way every year. Every year you're about UPS and FedEx at Christmas. They're not mm-hmm. able to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's with all their fancy, you know, uh, algorithms and all that. And they're and every year it's the same problem. So we like it has that problem. It's just all the time. Right. Okay. But again, just like FedEx and UPS, we have we have experience, and so we have a sense. But you know, we get caught out also with these massive donations, and of course, we don't want to say no, and we want to pick it all up, and we want to show the our partners that we have strength and we have logistical strength and the financial strength to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so, so what do we do now? So we found as we've grown so much in the last two years that we've come to situations where even like it's getting caught with stuff and we need to, our warehouse is filling up and we need to bring other stuff up. It's a distribution center. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not toys. They, they, stuff goes bad. And yeah. we don't want to, you know, terrible to use your funds and let, let stuff go bad. Right. So we, um, 
So we just piloted, and now we're going to do it in a bigger way. We piloted a project where when Leckett absolutely is having trouble getting rid of stuff, we're working with a soup company to make us, we bring them the vegetables Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then we pay them, you know, the difference between providing the vegetables and them making the soups and very nice soups, no preservatives. They freeze them for us and then they're delivered to homebound elderly people, which at a certain stage, you know, having a hot soup like that for the winter. So, so it's, it's a little deviation, but it's a solution for a problem we're having, which theoretically could make us say, we're not, we can't pick up that last hundred tons of carrots because we're having trouble distributing it. Maybe if we had an unlimited warehouse, because carrots can sit for a long time. Carrots is an easy example because they have a long shelf life, but there are other crops that don't Mm -hmm. have as long a shelf life. It also is letting us think now about picking up stuff that's really in bad shape. Because, you know, we try to keep the dignity of human beings as much as we can. Again, we're in Israel. Mm-hmm. We're not in a, a we have enough food to go around. It's just a matter of uh, logistics. Mm-hmm. And so when you come and volunteer in our warehouse, you know, we're uh, being very careful about when we know stuff's going to go to people's homes directly, they should get the best quality stuff that Leckett has to offer. And when it's going to be cooked in a soup kitchen, so it can be the next lesser quality because they're going to cook it anyway. But if we're mm-hmm. sending it to a manufacturer, like it can look really bad as long as it's safe. And so that, that maybe the, you know, the, the stuff that in the past, we're not there yet that we might have sent to compost. Mm-hmm. If it can make healthy, safe, delicious soups, why, you know, mm-hmm. why let it rot? So, right. you know, that's the kind of thing where we'll go a little bit left or right. Right. It's funny. Do you have you any say- response from the government, like any government help or anyone from the government who reached out? And so every government, people from the government love to come and visit Leket. They love mm-hmm. to volunteer. They take pictures. Um, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. We get some government financial support from the environmental ministry, from the welfare ministry. You know, not enough uh, that people, um, not enough that people don't get upset about it. Mm-hmm. But in Israel, in general, with again, I can fault the government. There's so much. There's so many needs. Mm-hmm. Historically, the governments of Israel have given less help towards food insecurity and tried to help in other ways, um, which hopefully helps these families. Food insecurity is also a bit of a low, I think part of it also is the fault of the food organizations or or just the topic we're in. Um, it's an area that, it's an area that you can raise money mm-hmm. philanthropically where mm-hmm. you can go to a food company and get donations. Mm-hmm. There are many other areas like, I don't know, I'll give an example. The government is is pretty good. Not enough. It's never enough. But the government's pretty good, for example, in giving allowances to foster families. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or disabled or, or disabled. Uh, or uh, And so every government has to make its choice. So while we moan and groan, and that's our job to, 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 to try to get more money from the government and, and we're getting some more now, like every, like every government decisions have to be made. And, I'm, uh, and so unfortunately this topic has never been one where any big money has been put in by the government, which is unfortunate for us, but it's also made us a hungry fundraising uh, machine because we have no choice. 
Well, so I mean, it, it depends you on your philosophy of what you think government should do. In other words, you you may you may be handling the logistics more efficiently as a. Oh, as a I'm not even talking about the government doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I don't mean the government should do it. People just say, "Why isn't the government?" Yeah, the go- people say that you're doing the government's job. Okay, let's agree with that. Um, why isn't the government giving you more money? And I say, "Well, we're doing our best to get it, but the government's had a philosophy, and we're doing what we can to change mm-hmm. that. But if we can't change it, I'm not going to sit here crying all day." Right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, and that's, you know, so, so maybe Leckett should really be not a, 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 a we're, a, we're a twenty million dollar organization now. Probably we should be a fifty million dollar organization, but it's really hard to raise. It's hard enough to raise yeah. fifteen to twenty million dollars, and you know those those numbers, um, you know, thirty, forty. There are charities all around the world who do things like that, mm-hmm. and you know, we, certainly I have people say to me, "How come you're only raising that much money, or you could do more?" But it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah, a noose around your neck. From the outside, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and we've done a bang up job. We have a great team uh, of people who could all be doing other things and making more money, but they want to be in the charity world. They want to. They're doing the same job they would be doing in the for profit world. They're taking a haircut in their salaries, but they're mm-hmm. just dedicated. And that's why I have time to talk to people like you. And instead how, of uh, how many driving employ- a truck. How many employees do you have? And do you know how many people are benefiting from Leckett services? So we have about 130 employees now, mm-hmm. which is a, a nice leap. Um, we, we, we would actually like to have more, but we're having trouble. Just like all over the world, we're reading about trouble finding people to come to work. Mm-hmm. Leckett has the same issue that everyone else has. So we have a bunch of, uh, if anyone listening is in Israel and is looking for a job, so check out our website. And um, so we, we, we help around 250,000 people a week. Wow. We're not taking care of all their food needs, but, you know, everyone's getting a couple of meals or a couple of pounds of fruits and vegetables and some people more. And, and, you know, that's a discussion for us. Should we serving less people, more food, Mm. more people, less food? I'm not sure there's a right answer for that. But, um, you know, certainly when it comes to kids and the elderly, which are areas where we feel like those are people who maybe can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. There we try to take care of more of their food needs. And other, you know, families where, where they're working, hopefully mm-hmm. or earning something, you know, the help might be less per, you know, per child or per capita, let's say, but it's still, you know, people, we're getting people hundreds of shekels of help every month. It's a lot of help. Right. Right. But it's, I mean, unfortunately, it, it, it can't possibly be an endless task, but it does sort of feel like it. <laughs> but but it, it can't possibly be endless. Like, it, in theory. <sighs> you are 100% correct. In fact, I don't remember which year Leckett puts out a food waste report every year. And we've definitely in there put in, here's what it would take. If Leckett right. had this much money to rent, to at least this many trucks and hire this many people, right. Right. we could take care of all the, just from the excess of food, we could probably take care of most of the, yes, there are numbers out there and it's doable. You know, obviously it's hundreds of, you know, I don't know if it's hundreds of millions or billions. It's probably, I can't remember the number anymore because it's good to put that out there as a talking right. point. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hundreds of millions for this issue, but there's hundreds of millions for many issues, many other right. issues. And that's why 
And that's why it doesn't matter if we're here or if you're in America, the richest country, richest, most powerful country in the world, which has all the same institutions. It has its lekets and its feeding shelters and, and a much larger, much, much larger influx of funding from the government and the Department of Agriculture, tens of billions of dollars a year. And there's no difference. Everything that we do here gets done there also. So it's just, it's, it's every problem has its solution. But um, you know, there's there's never seems to be enough to go around, or maybe we're just not thinking big enough. I don't know. Well, <laughs> no, nobody can nobody can solve the problem on their own. But you certainly have, and it's not just a question of of you impacting Israeli society so dramatically. Like that's that's sort of obviously, you know, I don't want to say nice things about you to your face because that seems just awkward. <laughs> but, but like, it's, I it's, take a little, but not too. Much. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it, it's not just making the 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 micro impact, but that's that's sort of, you know, we've had this idea since the days of the Bible of of making a, a city on the hill country that we can model, you know, a, a righteous moral nation. So, so you know, to get past that that shoulder shrug that's so human of like, gee, that's a problem, but, but turning it into something practical and scalable that's actually addressing the real world. I, you know, you're not the only person like that, but it, but it's, it's very inspiring to see somebody like you who's, who's really, who's really turning something that we all, like you're saying, like I was thinking about like, you know, oh, the waiters are so happy. Well, of course they're happy because you, you've taken, you've taken, You've taken something that 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 is theoretical, and you've turned it into something practical. That's the the Zionist idea of hagshama of of taking a value. Yeah, we're taking yeah, gold. One of my supporters said, "We take we 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 take garbage and we turn it into gold." Yeah, and of yeah. course, it's not really it's not really garbage. One minute ago, it was yeah. perfectly good food right. that all of us would have eaten. Like right. if you had mm-hmm. taken that buff, if you had taken that buffet from that expensive wedding and just set it up on the street. Right. Or if you went down mm-hmm. to Park Levinsky, where a lot of the refugees are in South Tel Aviv, people would have gobbled that food down in one second. But, but the, you know, the, the, the way our structure, our feeding structures work, it turns into garbage very, very quickly. And of course, we're very proud that, and, and that we're, we're shining lights and, you know, in a beacon and we have food banks that come visit us from all over the world and, and we go to visit them. And, and it's, that's a wonderful, again, it was not the intention, but certainly as someone who moved to Israel, I'm some, I'm, I, you know, I have some idealism left even after 21 years. And I want to, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's important, I think, to all of us. And, and in fact, I'm certainly not the only one. It's amazing if you start ticking off some of the leading organizations in Israel, how many of them have been founded by Olim, and how many mm. of them have been founded by by Anglo mm. Olim to Israel? And that's people who are coming. We're, we're we're strangers in a way, in a little way, right? Uh, when we come here, our language skills aren't the same, but but we care uh, in different ways about this country, and sometimes we're we're saddened by things that we see, and we want to uh, make a difference. So I'm certainly not the only one. Uh, I look around and I'm thrilled. You know, I'm, I'm going on Thursday to a conference of chairman of Israeli charities. And I'm going to nice. count how many of us uh, go, go, <laughs> mm. go, you know, how many of us go straight into English? So Immigrants, we get the job done, right? From Hamilton. There we go. Well <laughs> said, well yeah. said. No, it's a thing. It's, it's, well, because you're looking at the world a little differently. You're coming with a different set of skills. So 
it can, you know, everybody. Now, uh, well, obviously, we'll put a link to Luckett if people want to donate. What else can people do to Thank help you. out? Mm-hmm. So we're always looking for volunteers in our fields. We're looking for volunteers in our warehouse. Now that the doors to Israel have opened up, we're, it's so fun for us to see overseas groups mm-hmm. starting to come again. Families, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, really, really exciting. Uh, I was in Amik Rafaim the other day, and I bumped into a couple of people I haven't seen in years. And the first thing they said is, can we come volunteer with Leket? So, uh, of course, we need financial support. Year-end is coming. So it's a great time to support us. Our website's www.leket.org. So just reach out. My email's joseph at leket.org. If people have any follow-up questions talking, for I me. I was talking to an educator in the States recently who told me, you know, families say, well, you know, we're going for a kid's bar mitzvah. Where, what, what are the must-sees in Israel? And he was saying, you know, I always tell them, here's a list of charities that you should spend some time on on that trip. Like, that's so important mm. that that be part of your experience. Not just the, you know, great, go to Masada, go to all the touristy things, see the history, feel the inspiration. But that's also to feel like- Yeah, I like to say we're, yeah. we're right after that. I like to <laughs> say we're right after that. Like, there's there's the Kotel, the Western yeah. Wall, Masada, uh-huh. and then Leket. But now, you know, my wife's cousin uh, owns this aqua cave, this water park on the Kinneret. And yeah, he's oh, way sure. ahead of us in the amount of people, the amount of people coming. So I'm happy for him because <laughs> he works very hard. And, but, but yeah, and, and, you know, we expect to have 40 to 50,000 volunteers a year wow. when things go back to normal. So yeah, come check out Leket. Uh, if you're in Israel listening to this, we're happy to host you here. And if you're coming from overseas as well, come yeah. uh, give us a hand. Yeah. Living the dream. Really, really Amazing. doing what, I mean, really, I, 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 in my head, I go straight back to like the prophets of the Bible, you know, this image of somebody walking to the temple, stepping over a homeless person to bring their sacrifice and the prophet saying, you're missing the point. And, you know, Joseph, you're, you're a guy who gets it <laughs> and does it. Mm-hmm. And you. those are, those are Thank two. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's it. That's the mark of, uh, Ah, you're what we need, man. So uh, thank you so much for 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 obviously for what you do, but also for taking a little time this morning and uh, sharing it with our listeners and reflecting on. You know, we 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 like to think about the positives in Israel, but sometimes you have to be aware of where the problems are, and then the positivity is in addressing and solving those problems. Well said. Thank you for the opportunity of being here with you, and we should uh, you know everyone listening, America, happy Thanksgiving coming up, and to everyone, happy Hanukkah coming up next. Already yeah. in a week and a half, hard to yeah. believe. Yeah. And thanks for the opportunity of being on this wonderful show. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. And we don't have to hang up on the Zoom, but it's the end of the episode, so I'm going to stop the recording. Bye-bye. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the State of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.